All right. Well, I'm not going to go on a rant, but you know what today is? Today is first fruits. All you Easter punks. Now, what's up with that? We just celebrated Passover. Now, y'all are talking about some Easter. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go on a rant. That was my rant. It is first fruits or Easter. Um, but this is so cool. So we did Passover a few days ago. And the way that the Jewish feasts are set up, uh, there was uh, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then uh, first fruits, and then 50 days um, after that was uh, uh, Pentecost. And so uh, they didn't call it Pentecost, but that's what we know it as. And uh, Jesus, as I told you, that Jesus has fulfilled all of these, all of these feasts. So um, Jesus, uh, the Lamb, was uh, slain on Passover, and on Unleavened Bread, he was buried. Uh, when all of leaven or sin would be hidden away, he was buried. And then on first fruits, uh, first fruits was a, a celebration where the first fruits of the harvest would be uh, would be given to God. And uh, Paul tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of those uh, who have risen from the dead. He's the first one to beat death. And on first fruits, he was risen from the dead. Whoa. That's way cool, right? Uh, it's a phenomenal study, and um, I would really, really, really encourage you to do that, to study the feast and see how uh, Jesus, Messiah, has fulfilled all of them. But um, uh, you, you ever read the, the passage uh, that talks about when Jesus rose from the dead and then all these other dead people were walking around Jerusalem? You ever read that part? And gone, what? Like, I, we don't teach that part in Sunday school, right? Jesus rises from the dead, and then it says that there's others who also rose from the grave. Um, and it's cool because on uh, the way that first fruits would work is that you would present the first fruits of your harvest. Well, Jesus was the first fruits, but um, and I, I'm just look. This is a leap, but I'm just seeing what I uh, see in the text is that Jesus was a good uh, Jewish man that fulfilled all of the feasts, and it would be uh, of no shock to me that that would have been his presentation to the Father of the first fruits of what his work was, which was being raised from the dead. So he was raised from the dead as first fruits and then presented others resurrected um, as first fruits to the Father. So this is first fruits. So you can say, you can really throw people off like I did to you and say, happy first fruits. And then you get to tell that story. So that's way cool. Um, Another cool thing, um, I heard uh, this last, well, last week, yeah, it was last week, I taught Passover in here and uh, it's a marathon, trying to do it in a week. I will never do that again. It will always be two weeks. Always, always, always two weeks. Remind me at this time next year, Passover has to be two weeks. I just There's too much information for one week. So thank you, John. You got it? So next week. All right. Or next time, two weeks. Uh, but anyway, um, one of you is so cool. One of you have a, a friend that is Jewish and said, hey, why don't you come? We're going to talk about uh, Passover. And so he came and, um, and enjoyed uh, time here, was here at Sunday school. And the comment, here's what's so cool. The comment that he made was, wow, I didn't realize so much of your, uh, uh, so much of Passover was in your religion. And uh, it serves as a wonderful starting point for conversation to occur about how, no, 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 it's actually yours fulfilled <laughs> And so it's the same, and we get to, t- we get to talk about that. And so uh, anyway, I thought that was really cool. Uh, so I hope you guys had a uh, very meaningful Passover Seder with your life groups. Um, we got to go to one, and it was, it was wonderful. I, I just, it's my favorite thing. Um, of all the year, it is my favorite thing. And today we're celebrating First Fruits. So First Fruits is about resurrection, okay? First Fruits is absolutely about uh, resurrection, 
And so, and we know that we, when we think of Easter, that's what we think of when we talk about Easter, that's what we talk about, that it's about uh, resurrection. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we're going to talk about resurrection, obviously, this morning, but I want to talk about it um, in, in a bit of a, of a different tone, because, well, just a minute here, I've marked off my Bible to where I actually need to go. Uh, a little bit different tone, so 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what I want to do is I want to talk about resurrection in terms of how is resurrection applicable today, right now, in your life right now, what does resurrection mean? Because my fear is that we come up on these, uh, these holidays and our attitude is it's very reflective in that we look back on a historical event and we thank God for this historical event. We thank God that Jesus was, uh, you know, on Christmas, we're thanking God that Jesus was born, the Messiah, the Savior has come, and we're thankful for that day that he was born um, in the manger, right? And, and on Easter, it's much the same, uh, much the same way. We do well. Uh, I'm sorry. On Good Friday, we uh, we look at the cross, right? Good Friday is the day uh, where Jesus was uh, crucified, and we look at that day, and we look at the historical event, which it absolutely, uh, absolutely was, and we thank God for it. But it's in a very reflective, looking back on a historical event way. And Easter, the same way. We look at the resurrection, right, and we think, God, thank you so much that Jesus was raised from the dead. But there's very little application. Uh, in our lives right now. So what does resurrection actually mean? Or was it just a phenomenal day where the miraculous and supernatural occurred, where Jesus was raised from the grave and it gives substance to our faith, which all of those things are true, but if we leave it in the past, then we're missing the power of resurrection completely. And I want to talk about the power of resurrection and how it applies today. So let's read this. Now I'm going to read 23 verses. Is everybody ready for that? All right. 23 verses. Are you okay? So they would have not done that. Uh, as these letters would have been read in totality, so you guys can handle 23 verses. Okay. So here we go. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead or are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, there it is, of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came, uh, sorry, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So there's a lot in these passages, and it would take us quite a bit of time to break down just these 23 verses. Paul says an awful lot. But one of the things that I want you to notice, and, and uh, I'm not going to emphasize some of these a ton because we spent, any of you were there on Tuesday, 24-7, we had an apologist, Mike Lacona, come and speak to the historical accuracy of Christ rising from the dead. It was fascinating, um, and he re- went over some of these passages. But the very first thing that the resurrection does for us is, is it assures us that God does what he says that he is going to do, right? So several times in that passage, Paul says that Christ did according to the scriptures, And what the resurrection gives us as believers is the assurance, the absolute assurance that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. He had been speaking of this death, burial, and resurrection of the suffering servant of the Messiah uh, in the scriptures uh, all the way back into the Old Testament. Even with Adam and Eve, we see a picture of Christ and uh, coming all the way forward Uh, into the time of Jesus, we see the fulfillment of these passages and we see the fulfillment of God doing what he says he's going to do. So resurrection is first the guarantee that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Amen? It's a valuable, valuable thing. We don't serve a God who changes his mind. We serve a God that is faithful to his purposes, does not change, and he he follows through with what he says he's going to do. But here's the other thing that resurrection gives it also means that we, uh, what we get what we desperately need the most. It means that healing and freedom become a tangible reality. Just as much as the resurrection was an actual, historical, tangible fact, just as much as that is true, that because all of our healing, all of our forgiveness of sin, what did he say? If, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then you're still where? You're still in your sin. And so the reality of the resurrection is the guarantee of our freedom. Does that make sense? It's the guarantee of our healing. It makes my healing, it makes my freedom a tangible possibility in the same way that the resurrection is a tangible thing. In John chapter 12, this is what Jesus says as he's speaking about his his death which is to come. He says, I have come into the world as a light... So that whoever believes in me may not remain where? In darkness. 
He says, I, I've, I've come into the world as a night, be, uh, as a light, and whoever remains in me or believes in me is going to be rescued from darkness. So I want to, I want to just hammer this home, and I know that most of you in this room know this, but do you, do you understand that we, of all people, we should understand the most our former state of existing in darkness? That we lived in darkness under the shadow of our sin, under the shadow of our selfishness, doing what we wanted to do. We were living in darkness. And Jesus proclaimed as he came on the scene that I am going to be a light and that whoever believes in me, right, may not remain in darkness. Go to Isaiah chapter 61. I'm going to make it colder if y'all don't start nodding and answering my questions. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. Bryn and I laughed about that the other day. I said, uh, <laughs> I asked her if it was cold or I, something happened. I said, is it cold in here? And, uh, and Bryn said, yeah, it's cold. And I said, okay, good. Well, I, I didn't mean I'm glad I'm freezing her out. But she said, I, that's what you do. I know your plan now. You make it cold to freeze us out. And then, yeah, it's not, I don't, I don't want you to be miserable. That's not my goal. <laughs> but I'm not changing it. All right. Check this out. Listen. Okay, so Isaiah 61. Jesus says, I've come, right, as a light. Those who believe in me will not remain in darkness. Listen to Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 4. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Go to Luke chapter 4. Look at Luke chapter 4. Pick up in verse 16. Those of you who have been in discipleship school, these are many familiar passages. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. See, I told you, he's a good Jew. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now listen, uh, this is huge, okay? He unrolls to the, to the scroll to the very place that we just read out of the book of Isaiah uh, in chapter 61. And it says that Jesus proclaims, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll and He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, what's that word? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Some versions say, in your midst. 
Jesus is declaring right, right there in that moment. He's declaring his fulfilling of what was to come. He's saying, Isaiah 61 is me. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me. I am the fulfillment of this passage. But the Spirit of the Lord God is on him for what? To proclaim what? Good news to the poor. Liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What did he say in John chapter 12? I have come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The ministry of Jesus is to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and liberty to those who were oppressed. And he stood in their midst after he just read from this scroll from the prophet, prophet Isaiah and said, it is fulfilled today. This is the beginning of days where those who are oppressed will have liberty. This is the beginning of days that those who are blind will receive sight. This is the beginning of days where those who are oppressed will have liberty. I have come to be a light. So my question to us is, Why do we seem to separate death, burial, and resurrection and our salvation? We kind of put those into a pot, right? We group those together. We think about our salvation. We think about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We compartmentalize that, and we we only speak of those, those two things together. But that was an event that happened in my past. If I were to ask you, when did you encounter the resurrection life of Jesus? When did you, when did you uh, come into contact with his sacrifice on the cross? When did that happen in your life? You would probably tell me a story about your salvation. Do you see any problems with that? Yeah, the, the, the problem is that it wasn't a one-time event in order to set you free for salvation one time. It was to save you totally and completely. It was to not just give, you, uh, give the blind sight in one moment, but it was to give the, the blind sight forever. It was not just to set you free in a moment. It was not to give liberty to the oppressed for a moment of salvation and then send you back to struggling. It was for liberty one time and continuing. It is an eternal liberty that was paid for on the cross. It was an eternal freedom that was paid for on the cross, not just a moment. So why is it that we compartmentalize the resurrection as a day that happened in the past and thank God for my salvation. But my question to us is, where is the resurrection in your life now? Where is the resurrection in our lives now? Because if I'm reading this right, and I believe that I am, you know, we've, we've checked it now together. If we're reading this correctly, the resurrection is what solidifies the freedom for us for eternity. The resurrection is what gives us freedom from sin, not yesterday when you were saved, but today when you encounter temptation and are struggling. That the power of the resurrection is, is a, as applicable today as it was on the day when you were saved, and is just as powerful to have you walk in holiness as it was to save you from your sin. Are you with me? You guys all right? I'm raising my voice a little. Are you guys okay? Okay. He says, today it has been fulfilled. We cannot separate salvation yesterday from freedom in all areas of our lives. We are bound up people in a lot of, in a lot of ways. On the surface, we in Western uh, church and Western Christianity, we seem very free. 
We can kind of do what we want to do. We can worship the way we want to worship. You even got options. You can go and sing one way or sing the other way. You can do whatever you want to do, right? We seem very, very free. But we are some of the most bound up and broken hearted people. And it's because I think we failed to realize that the salvation that we encountered yesterday is just as powerful today as it was on the day when you were saved. It was not just an emotional moment where you realized you were a sinner and gave your life to Jesus. It was the freedom for you forever. And if we would apply the resurrection power that was given to us on that day of salvation into these different areas of our lives where we struggle, I think we would find great freedom. Because I believe that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is powerful enough to save you from pornography as it was to save you from sin. I believe it's powerful enough to save you from addiction, to save you from selfishness as it was to save you from your sin. Look, if it could crucify the old man... And if his resurrection life could give you an entire new being, could put the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, are you kidding me? Do you think it can't save you from the things that you struggle with today? So, I've got to prove this here because I'm going to just rant. So, go to Colossians chapter 3. You know, I hear uh, a lot of what I do, um, and you guys have uh, journeyed, many of you have journeyed in this with me. A lot of the ministry that I seem to do is in the area of deliverance. I, I spend most of my time, and uh, I think it's a lot because there's a lot of believers that, that need it, and um, I just uh, I think that it's what my heart is to do, so I kind of just go looking for it. But um, a lot of the ministry that I do has to do with Christians that are uh, saved but not experiencing freedom in their lives. We talk about uh, the word is deliverance, and there's much to learn in that area. Come to discipleship school. We teach it through pretty thoroughly. But basically... Um, what, what it is, it's about re- getting people to realize the truth about who they are and the truth about the power of God over their lives and to begin to frame their lives in the context that God sees it. And when you get the right perspective, when you see the perspective of God on your life, the things that you think are overwhelming and devastating really, really aren't. And you begin to, uh, you begin to apply the freedom that God has given in all areas of your life. So I, I spend a lot of time in ministry in that way with people. And here's the statement that I hear a lot of times. I'm ready to be set free. I'm ready to be set free and I'm just waiting on God to do it. I want to be free and I'm just waiting on God to do it. I know these areas of my life that are, that are causing bondage and are causing hurt and brokenness and I'm waiting for freedom and I'm just ready for God to do it. And I've got to tell you that that is an incorrect statement. It's an impossible statement. God has already done it. You're already free. We think about it, I think, in too, too many times where we think about that there's more freedom that God is going to give in my life. That if I just pray hard enough, if I seek Him hard enough, if I'll fast, if I'll, if I'll whatever, then God will give more freedom. Let me just tell you, there is no more freedom that is coming your way than freedom from the old nature and a new one alive inside of you. There is no additional freedom that's coming. The struggle for us as believers, and what you've got to learn to think about it differently is, it's not about God giving new freedom, it's about you appropriating the freedom that He's already given into all areas of your life. It's about recognizing the power of the resurrection and applying that power, appropriating it into all areas of your life. Right? So it's just as powerful, the resurrection is just as powerful in your marriage as it is in your addictions. Right? It's just as powerful over the things uh, of your past 
as it is the things of your current struggle. And what it's about doing is going, okay, this is what happened in the past, and I've got to appropriate that under the blood of Jesus, under the resurrection, and that's where I gain freedom. God's not going to give you new areas of freedom. He wants to teach you how to live free because He purchased total freedom on the cross. You with me? You guys with me? Stop saying you're waiting on God to give you freedom and start going, God, how do I appropriate the freedom you've given into every area of my life? So Colossians chapter 3. You knew we'd get there eventually. Colossians, uh, it's tiny, so you gotta, you got to find it. I give you, gave you some bonus seconds. All right, now I'm going to read 17 verses, all right? So you're good now, okay. Now just listen to this. So he's going to start out with an if statement. Everything that follows is based on that if statement. Okay, first verse. If then you have been raised with Christ... So everything hinges on that question, on that statement. If then you've been raised with Christ, if you've participated in this resurrection, then here we go. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. That's a tough one. Covetousness, right? Everybody try that on three. Just kidding. It's idolatry. Look at verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now listen to verse 7. So he's going to really, I think, ratchet it up a little bit. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, uh, uh, sorry, renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now Paul seems to have this wild idea. His wild idea is that the resurrection gives us the ability to put one thing off and another thing on. Not a lot of detail in between those things, was there? Not a lot of reasoning with your circumstances in between those things, was there? He says very simply, if you have been raised with Christ, now let's identify this. That is an absolute for every Christian. 
If you are a believer in here today, if you are a Christian, if that is a real and true thing in your life, then you have been raised with Christ. The moment that you believe the old you was crucified on the cross and a new life, you participated in his resurrection, a new life uh, came on the inside. The Spirit of God was given. Okay? So that's a present reality for you if you're in here as a believer. And he says, if that's true, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. And then look at these words in verse 5. Look at verse 5. If you have been raised with Christ, jump to verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He didn't say, pray to God for more freedom. He didn't say, pray for God for an extra measure of healing. He says, if this is a true reality in you, if the resurrection is real, if you have been raised with Christ, then put this other stuff to death. So what does that tell us? Now, I'm not minimizing your struggle. Don't hear that. Don't go, but Kendall, I've struggled with this, whatever this is, for years and years and years of my life. How could you just tell me, in the blink of an eye, put it to death? I'm not minimizing your struggle, but I think that we've given our struggles way, 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 way more power than they ever deserved. And part of our present struggle is because we've made them bigger than they ever were. In the same way, Goliath stood up above an army of Israelites that could have swept him off the earth in a moment. And because of his intimidation, they never appropriated the victory that God had already given. It took David to come on the scene to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Guys, what he's saying really doesn't matter. Just go kill him. Right? You see the difference? David changed the culture because David didn't, wasn't intimidated. We've given power to our struggle because we've made it more powerful than it actually is. I promise you the resurrection is more powerful. And Paul seems to believe that the power that's in the resurrection is what enables us to immediately put to death the things that are in our lives which are earthly. Now, I will credit you this. That's hard. <laughs> I'll credit you this, that that's not just something you wake up one morning and go, oh, put it to death? All right, put it to death. I I believe it takes intensively drawing near to the Lord. I believe it takes seeking Him intensively. I believe it takes pouring ourselves into the Scripture. I believe it takes an absolute resoluteness. To live by the Spirit. Paul says it, that if you walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. I think it takes discipline. I think it takes an intensity on behalf of the believer to press into the Lord in order to put these things to death. But it does not take an extra measure of God's goodness or freedom. He's already given it. The question is, are you willing to live according to the Spirit in uh, in such a way that the things that are currently surrounding you and trying to tear you down can be put to death are you willing to appropriate the resurrection in such a way that you can experience absolute freedom which god has already given are you guys with me you understand the difference romans chapter 8 i hope that as you walk away well let's see read romans 8 31 through 39 on your own I need to just sum up a couple of things. He says some cool stuff in there uh, that we're conquerors, like things like that. You know, that's kind of cool stuff, right? Go read it. 
hopefully what I can do is in the next moments be quite practical with you. Here's what I hope that you take away. As we spend most of today speaking about the resurrection of Jesus, first of all, I hope that you take away how powerful that actually is. How incredibly powerful that actually is. That by the power of God, a man who was dead was raised. And that that wasn't just any resurrection. That was the resurrection that guaranteed our freedom from sin. That was the resurrection that made the blood worth what it was. They spilled precious blood of the Son of God, but if he was not raised, there was no way for us to attain the life that that blood had purchased. You with me? So that resurrection gives us access to that perfect blood. So I hope that you walk away with how powerful it is. And I hope that you realize that today you are absolutely free. Because of that resurrection, regardless, look at me, meet my eyes, regardless of what you're struggling in right now, you are free. I know that many of you may go, uh, wait, but, but no, to say but means you have to go and question the power of the cross. Don't say, but I'm not experiencing it right now. That's a different question. The reality is you are free. You are free. And the death, burial, and resurrection of the perfect Son of God ensures that you're free. If you believe in Him, you're free. If you have not believed in Him, and you're in here this morning and want freedom, then just cry out to Him. All it takes is just believe on Jesus for salvation, and you'll be free. But for those of you that are Christians and you try to have the but statement, yeah, I'm free, maybe, but don't don't ask that anymore. The struggle for us is not are we free or not. The fight for us is, are we going to lay hold of, by faith, what has been given through Jesus? Are we going to lay hold of, by faith, because Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that faith is what gives us access to the kingdom of God. Faith is what allows us to live according to the reality of the kingdom of God while present on the earth. Right? You with me? So faith, so you may be struggling with things, there may be things that are pressing against you, but the reality of the kingdom of God says that you're an overcomer and that you're free. The only way that you're going to experience that freedom is if by faith you access the reality of the kingdom of God to live presently in a tough circumstance, and that circumstance not Lord over you. So the fight for us is, are you going to lay hold of, by faith, what has been given through Jesus, and here's the deal, and appropriate it by the Spirit of God into our lives. So how does that happen? First, you've got to realize a, a dramatic shift. And I, you, many of you have heard me say this. I didn't make it up, but it's a wonderful phrase. You're not fighting towards victory or for victory. You fight from victory. That's a drastic difference. You don't fight to gain victory. Victory's already been won. You, you start the fight on victory. That changes things. That sure changed things for me. You're fighting from victory by the grace of God under the banner of Jesus Christ who has won and assured the victory. You're not fighting from victory because of some miraculous thing you did. You're fighting from victory because of the power of God. Second, so that's first. You've got to realize you start off in a victorious place as more than a conqueror. You have been given the Holy Spirit as a power and the authority in your life to live by faith and to daily overcome the flesh and be obedient to God. You with me? Paul says that the Spirit of God is our seal of salvation. We ought to, each of us as believers, be able to look into ourselves and go, yep, 
there's the Holy Spirit. I know the, pre- the presence of the Holy Spirit is alive in me. That's the seal. That's, the, that's, what, that's what assures me of my salvation. You have been given the Holy Spirit. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is, what em- is who empowers faith in your life. Who knows the things of God, right? The Spirit of God. If we're going to live by faith, we've got to live in a relationship with the Holy Spirit by which He makes known to us the things of God. And you've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit just doesn't just tell you the things of God and then say, Jason, here's the, here's the truth of God. Now go out and figure it out. He gives and he empowers. So the same spirit of God in you that makes known to you the truth of God about whatever is going on in your life is the same one that when you say, okay, I get it. Now, will you live powerfully and boldly through me? will equip and empower you to live powerfully and boldly in the truth that he just revealed. He is the one that reveals and the one that empowers. And third, be obedient to conform your thoughts and actions to that which you know by faith honors God. Again, this action is prompted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But it's not enough. If you're going to experience victory, it's not enough for you to read the Scriptures, for you to hear the Holy Spirit, and then go, yes, I agree with that truth, and then do nothing with it. You must begin, the moment that you recognize truth, you must begin to apply it in your life regardless of what the circumstances say about what you've just learned. Does that make sense? So even if your reality looks at your situation and and you go, wait a minute, this principle that God says, it doesn't seem like it'll work here. Many of us stop right there. And we go, okay, well, maybe, maybe you're in a time of tremendous sorrow and you, you read passages that talk about hope and assurance and joy in the midst of tribulation. And you go, well, that doesn't work. I'm too sad. What God's just done is he's revealed to you the reality that joy can be present in, the, in your greatest moments of heartache. And you've said, yeah, God, maybe that's true, but I'm not willing to stand out and by faith apply that into my life. And what you've got to do is you've got to stand in the middle of that uh, moment of heartache and declare joy. The Spirit of God said that it's possible for joy right now. So, Holy Spirit, I'm just going to stand in this place, and there will be joy. You've got to do it in me. Bless you guys. Go sing. That's why people get up. People don't get offended, right? So, <laughs> I always wonder what you think when people get up. There's people serving in the next service. And I've got to wrap up. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he who calls you who will also do it. The strength to live the empowered life that the resurrection gives is not based on you. Faithful is he who calls you, who will also do it. So you're fighting from victory. You've been given the Holy Spirit as power, and you must be obedient. But the resurrection has guaranteed freedom in every area of your life. So I want you to just pray. And I want you to, I want you to have an honest moment with God. And I want, you to be, I want you to confess the areas of your life. Just, I'm just going to give you a pause of about two seconds. I want you to just right now, the areas that the Lord is touching, I want you to say, all right, God, I've refused to believe that I could actually have freedom in this area. But the resurrection says that I can. I want you to confess those areas of doubt before the Lord, and then I'm going to pray. So just take a second. God, you know what everybody in this room has whispered before you. You know the areas of hidden, the hidden areas of our heart where we struggle to believe that there can actually be freedom. And God, I pray that right now, by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit, 
that you would make known to us the reality of the power of the resurrection, that we would know that the resurrection gives us freedom in every area. And God, teach us. That's what we want to do. We want to come before you, Holy Spirit, and allow you to teach us how to appropriate that victory in every area of our life. We will no longer ask, God, where is the victory? But God, our question is just teach us how to live in it. Teach us how to live in the land. We're there. You've brought us into the promised land. We're living with the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us. Just teach us how to live there, God. We're not wandering in the wilderness any longer. Teach us how to live in the land of promise. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed, not released.